Welcome to the CSIS Asia Policy Podcast, Kajit Asia. My name is Jeffrey Bean. I'm editor of CSIS's Asia Policy blog and producer of a joint pod this week with the Asia Maritime Transparency Initiative, or AMTI, here at CSIS. Uh, we're recording this on the margins of the Our Ocean Summit at the State Department in Washington, D.C., which will be hosted by Secretary of State John Kerry uh, over September 15th and 16th this week. Uh, our topic for this episode is the issue of sustainable fisheries in the Indo-Pacific and the challenge of overfishing. Joining me to shed some light on this story is Rachel Bale, uh, a journalist and re- researcher with National Geographic's Special Investigations Unit, uh, who covers wildlife crime uh, and has been tracking this issue of overfishing uh, and IUU, which is illegal, unreported, or uh, unregistered fishing in the South China Sea and broader Southeast Asia for the last 12 months or so. Rachel, thanks for taking the time to join us. Thanks for having me. So Rachel, you've written several pieces in, uh, that have come out in the last couple of weeks on the state of fisheries in the South China Sea and the environment, the broader environment uh, on the waters and under the waters on the seafloor of Southeast Asia. Of course, in the policy community, uh, fishing fleets have sort of been one component of the various uh, national tools that are that are viewed through the lens of broader geopolitical maneuvering in the region. Uh, and that's been a hot topic over the last couple of years here in DC and elsewhere. One of the things that uh, drove us to focus this podcast on fisheries was because it allows us to take a look at the micro and the macro sort of economic impacts of this in the region, uh, and specifically overfishing in a, in a territory and waters where people have been fishing for hundreds of years. So to just sort of turn to this question, from your perspective, what is the economic impact of overfishing in the South China Sea and in South, Southeast Asia? Uh, and to what extent is the food security situation affected in the region as a result? Well, it's potentially huge. The long and short of it is that the South China Sea fishery is on the verge of collapse. Uh, conservation scientists will tell you the exact same thing. Um, Right now, the South China Sea fishery is in the top five in terms of production and importance. So it's an incredibly important fishery. Um, It employs about 3.7 million people in the countries surrounding it. And the most recent estimate I could find in 2012 was that it was worth almost $22 billion. So it's hugely important to to the economies of the developing countries around it. Um, At the same time, a lot of my reporting focused specifically on the Philippines, so I know um, more specifics for that. But um, in the Philippines alone, 320,000 people um, fish in the South China Sea. And that's to say nothing of all the people who are employed, you know, in uh, the distribution and packing and processing of, of the fish. So economically, it's extremely important. Why do you think there's so much competition for fishing grounds in this area based on your research? Is it a legacy issue uh, as a result of the historical focus from several different uh, populations in this region uh, and its sort of nexus in Southeast Asia? Or is it, uh, a, in your view, a, a national rivalry issue? It's a combination of a couple of things. Absolutely, it's fair to say that the national rivalries and the maritime and territorial disputes have contributed to the competition, for sure. I mean, that's uh, one of the first things people here at CSIS told me when I was researching my story is that the fishermen are, especially for the Chinese, the pointy end of the spear. The fishermen are the ones um, who are being sent out to occupy these contested territories in order to establish control and to establish a claim on the region. Um, At the same time, 
the area has been heavily, heavily fished for decades. This isn't a new issue. Um, at least since the 60s, fish stocks have been going down. And now things are finally starting to come to a head. And it just so happens to be that it's at the same time, um, you know, this dispute has really fired up, you know, since around 2010, 2012 or so. Um, so while you have the dispute exacerbating overfishing because you have places like China who are giving big subsidies for their fishermen to go and fish unsustainably, at the same time, the other thing is true where uh, the competition itself is exacerbating the dispute, I think is fair to say, because now that fish stocks are dropping and that it's getting harder to find big fish, it's getting harder to find um, as many fish as fishermen used to, um, every fisherman out there is fighting with each other to get what they can. And so naturally that leads to more competition between, between the people out there. And lots of times it's, you know, the bigger, large commercial scale Chinese boats versus the smaller, still commercial, but smaller Filipino, Taiwanese, um, and Vietnamese fishing boats. Now, we, as you say here at CSS and elsewhere in D.C., we've talked a lot about the geopolitical sort of maneuvering around this. Can you talk a little bit about the day-to-day the -day impact on fishermen uh, from across the region, Philippines, Vietnam, Malaysia, Indonesia, China, Taiwan, all have, you know, to varying degrees, fishing fleets that operate in these areas. Can you talk about the day-to-day -day impact on fishers, men and women, uh, due to the lack of sustainable fisheries and the declining fish stocks that you sort of mentioned in your, in your previous answer and outlined in your articles? The life of a fisherman has never been easy. And now with this heightened competition and decreasing fish stocks, it's just getting harder. The first thing that happened was fish stocks in the coastal areas declined. And those were the national waters. So now fishermen have to go further and further out into the disputed waters to get the same amount of fish they used to be able to get closer to home. So now it means fishermen are spending more time at sea, they're spending more time away from their families, and they're exposing themselves to more risk because there's, um, there's so many stories out there now of harassment from either Chinese fishermen or Chinese Coast Guard um, to trying to scare away fishermen from other countries. For example, I talked to one man uh, who used to fish, uh, Filipino, he used to fish in the South China Sea all the time. And after his uh, friend's boat had been attacked by, uh, attacked with water cannons from a Chinese Coast Guard boat, and they barely made it out of there. This fisherman said, okay, we're not gonna fish there anymore. Um, we're just gonna fish in our national waters. The fishing isn't as good there, but we have no choice because if we keep fishing in the South China Sea, we might not come home to our families. Um, on the flip side, plenty of fishermen haven't been able to make that choice. Some, obviously there's still many, many people who fish in the South China Sea and are willing to take those risks. And they report, you know, these kinds of things on a regular basis, um, either seeing Coast Guard, Chinese Coast Guard ships out there or um, sort of being nudged away by other boats. And one, another Filipino fisherman I spoke to, he said that when they'd go out on a two-week trip like five or ten years ago, they used to see just a handful of other fishing boats. And now on a two-week trip, they'll see more than a hundred. And so just the sheer number of boats has increased so much that there just literally aren't enough fish to go around. One thing that 
actually really surprised me that so far I haven't been able to find out too much about, but one of the biggest complaints from fishermen I talk to are what they call super light boats. So uh, tuna is one of the big fish there. Um, they pass through on a seasonal basis and uh, I think more than half of the world's tuna is born in the South China Sea, something like that. Um, and the way you catch tuna a lot of times is you shine a, a bright light off the side of the boat and at night the tuna think it's the sun. So they come up to the top to feed and then you scoop them up in a net. But there are these really big commercial boats now, apparently, that um, are really long and have really, really bright lights. Like apparently it's so bright, some people describe it as looking like a sunrise. And these boats, apparently they'll come in and they'll do their fishing and they will literally just get like all of the fish in the area and there's nothing left for anybody like at that point the fish the other fishermen who are in the area if they see a soup they call it a super light boat if they see the super light they're like okay we're not going to get anything here we need to leave now so in this case super light meaning super powerful light yes. rather than super light as in extremely small and maneuverable That's yes exactly bright lights in the course of researching this story and the articles that you that you uh, have put out, what stands out the most to you about the challenge from the over, uh, overfishing perspective in the South China Sea? It is impossible to enforce any kind of laws in this area because because there is no consensus over who controls it or whether it's international or who owns what. Nobody can attempt to regulate the fishing industry in any way because essentially what you have then is you've got seven or eight countries with overlapping claims in the region. You have seven or eight different countries who want to impose their fishing regulations laws. And of course only China really has the power on the ground to try to do that. And so essentially what happens is there's no law enforcement whatsoever. It's a free-for-all out there. Everybody can take whatever they want, whenever they want it, as long as they have the power to do it. And that's, I think, one of the biggest problems. And that's, I think, uh, something that's been overlooked a lot in the political science aspect of the South China Sea dispute is that the environmental issues and the political issues, especially when it comes to fisheries enforcement, are inextricably linked. Um, I mean, part of the main reason the fishery is about to collapse is because nobody can agree on who controls the area. And because of that, you have, like I said, it's just a free-for-all. It's a mess. Now, your background in covering wildlife crime and other environmental issues uh, will give you some uh particular insight on how much attention IUU as a general issue and over, overfishing in the Asia-Pacific or Indo-Pacific, how much attention does it receive from the environmental community uh, as, you know, as sort of the set of issues that you're looking at? Sustainable fisheries and, and overfishing, where does that rank? Uh, it's actually quite high. There's a lot of attention paid to IUU fishing in the conservation community. Um, Especially because what we have now as the South China Sea is getting overfished and especially as you have the really powerful big commercial Chinese boats coming through the South China Sea, they're pushing out the smaller fishermen 
And those are the fishermen you, you see off the coast of East Africa or out in Oceania between Papua New Guinea and Australia. And those are some of the places where IUU fishing is the worst. And that's actually a symptom in part of what's going on in the South China Sea. So people are in the conservation community, I'd say, are extremely aware of the problem of IUU fishing. Um, as to how to solve it, however, that's, that's more up in the air. Rachel, thanks so much for your insight. Appreciate you joining us. Thank you. The audio for this podcast was edited by Francis Burkham. The podcast was written and produced by Jeffrey Bean. To learn more, visit our new look, CSIS.org and CogitAsia.com. You can follow our Asia programs on Twitter and subscribe to our podcast via iTunes, RSS, or email on csis.org. Stop by our Asia Maritime Transparency Initiative site for groundbreaking maritime analysis in Asia. Also, be sure to check out the new China Power podcast. I'm Will Colson. Thanks for listening.